welcome to Rainbow Colored Glasses, a podcast that looks at LGBT media of the past and asks what it means today. I'm Paul, my guest is Ed, and we're discussing a short film with a long title. It is not the homosexual that is perverse, but the society in which he lives. There will be spoilers. Activist Rosa von Pronheim made his first feature film in 1971, two years after sexual activity between men had been legalized in Germany. Rosa was frustrated with the complacency of the gay bourgeoisie. He tells the story of a young man named Daniel who moves to Berlin. He tours the gay subcultures, the art world, the drag world, leather daddies, hustlers, and he is disappointed until he meets a group of activists who ask him to join the gay liberation movement. The film was polarizing. Some were energized and formed gay rights organizations. Others were furious for what they viewed as a homophobic attack. I wanted to see how the film's messages held up. Thank you for joining me again, Ed, and for watching this lovely film. What were some of your first impressions? Well... For those of you who have never heard of this film, if uh, you think it's not possible for a movie from 1971 to read your entire lifestyle for filth, you need to see this movie because it will prove you wrong. <laughs> I had a lot of feelings in response to this movie. I uh, not, not all of them, not all of them good feelings, uh, not all of them bad feelings, but definitely this movie is a lot. Definitely a lot. So let's talk a little bit about the film's style. Most of the people listening will have never seen it. We get tableaus, dioramas, silent scenes of Daniel going on his adventures. There is some dialogue, but for the most part, it's narration. It, it's like being given a lecture with a erotic PowerPoint presentation at some points. And I was wondering, as someone a little more versed in the style than I am, does this count as what we would call Brechtian? A hundred percent. I mean, if this film isn't Brechtian, then what is Brechtian? It's just absolutely pure dialectical theater just made into a movie from, you know, as you noted, the intentional alienating effect of having sort of a, a voiceover didactically lecture to you most of the movie about what we're observing almost almost like a a nature documentary of sorts about the practices of the homosexual but also furthermore just the intentional alienation of one thing we may talk about in a little more detail from scene to scene but just how thoroughly bored and detached and disconnected nearly everyone on screen is. Our protagonist, Daniel, for all that the narrator says is feeling feelings of intense fatuation or lust or romantic love and whatnot, looks intensely bored the entire movie. Sometimes I think there's at least one point where he literally is yawning in our faces during a scene that's supposed to have some kind of intensity to it, erotic or otherwise. Now, I wanted to bring up the musical Cabaret, because that also features a young man who goes to Berlin, samples the the nightlife, including the queer subcultures, and grows fed up with the apathy of his friends as he sees the Nazi threat rising and insists that one must become politically involved. But he does not. He, he simply flees. He leaves town. And I was thinking of the mix of naturalism and stylization in that I'm not comparing quality, because of course Cabaret is fantastic and this film is a very specific niche, but um, I was wondering if uh, it would be appropriate to compare the two works. 
Well, if you're if you're talking about in terms of one being more Brechtian than the other, uh, I would say uh, it is not the homosexual, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to say the entire title every time. Is definitely more pure, purely like what I would think of as Brechtian than cabaret is. The the main thing I just I think of is that literally uh, this piece on like cabaret is is willing to actually lecture at you not just put ideas that the authors are hoping you will adopt into the mouths of characters who are in scenes with each other, uh, but actually get in your face with the point that it's trying to make politically. Uh, and also the the thing that I think is a key part of Brecht's approach was to kind of reject the idea of escapism or uh, the engagement of emotion as opposed to the intellect of an audience member. And I, I just think that uh, I want to say how Prince put together the original production of Cabaret, did he not? Correct. Um, he's just a little bit too much of a showman, a little bit too unwilling to do nothing but make the audience eat their vegetables the entire evening for it to be purely Brechtian in that sense. It definitely has some of the aesthetics and the trappings of it. I think that the movie Cabaret has these sort of interstitial song performances that underscore themes and scenes that we've just seen in a way that reminds me of, for example, the Three Penny Opera. But Cabaret has nothing on how Brechtian this movie is, in my opinion. We do get two songs in this film, one at the wealthy man's party and one at the drag bar, but neither of them are pushing the message of the piece. They seem like brief little brief little breaks from the lecture to, <laughs> to catch our breath. And then it's right back into the lecture again. Yeah, though I think the first performance is serving a point rather than just trying to in, in, uh, engage the audience, you know, as far as like their aesthetic pleasure. It's more about, I think the idea is the young man who's performing is almost a trained animal doing a trick in front of this soiree of older wealthy gentlemen who show up at this event uh, because it makes them feel like they're artistic and supporting the arts, but that's not really what's going on at all. No, Daniel and this other young man are very much the prey at this at this wealthy party. Yeah, I mean, I will say that the there are parts of this that I found, like I actually, while I was taking notes, said this is got to be among the most homophobic movies that I've ever seen that were made by a gay man. Interesting. Ever. Okay. Um, but I think that's kind of the point, like, especially given the time it was made with 1971, I, I believe. So, you know, uh, not really that long after Stonewall, um, you know, before the AIDS epidemic. And correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, I want to say 69 was Stonewall. Was it not? Or am I misremembering? <laughs> Uh, yes, and at the same time in Germany, that was when paragraph 175 got overturned, which was what made sexual activity between men illegal. Sure. Um, and so I think the point of this movie is to piss a bunch of people off with a particular end. I guess that's the other the other reason I would say this is Brechtian, is there's a political agenda in play here. And I think that the point is, to, in part, to the extent that it makes the audience feel anything, it is supposed to sting. It's supposed to to infuriate homosexual men who watch this to the extent that they feel they feel called out about aspects of their own lives or approaches to relationships in order to get them up in arms to behave the way the filmmaker wants them to. And I think it definitely succeeded in that. There was backlash, uh, but then there was also... Um, I mean, even now it made me a little cranky, it. and I like to think that uh, we've come a long way. 
Well, then even even bigger than Stonewall was, of course, World War II. Bronheim claims that this was one of the first German gay films made after the war. Of course, there were many made before it in Weimar Berlin. Things were starting to representation was making great strides. And then, of course, the Nazis came and destroyed a lot of the the films. There's there's some films there's only fragments of from as far back as the early 1910s with gay characters, gay storylines, trans storylines that the Nazis wanted destroyed. So I think that very much looms over Ronheim's worldview as as to the urgency for people to organize and to fight the oppressors from within and without. I think that a lot of the arguments that he, and forgive me, is name notwithstanding the filmmaker's pronouns are he, him, yes? Yes. Rosa is his stage name. It's a reference to the pink triangle. Yes. I don't know that I agree with a lot of the arguments being put forth. And I guess what I will say is it's such a dour, unenjoyable rendition of what it is to live as a gay man that I, I can't. I can't think was a hundred percent truthful, even in 1971. Like, I feel like, as I said, I feel like there there are things that he lays on a bit thick because he wants to get you pissed off. But when he gets roped into a relationship on his first visit there, he's brought into this little dollhouse because Pronheim's very anti traditional relationships what he considers as aping heterosexual marriage so when this daniel some of the stuff that i found I, I i started to get really up my nose some of this this didactic narration about how any like long-term monogamous gay relationship is nothing more than a failed attempt to parody the marriage between a man and a woman which, by the way, it, not, it didn't offend me just as far as the idea of that being the truth of a long-term heterosexual, I'm sorry, homosexual relationship, but the way that it describes its aping of a, a straight marriage in and describes the straight marriage of at least having the shared task of raising children and being based on the oppression of the wife, I think is the phrase that comes to mind. Subjugation of the Frau. Um, and I guess I, I, all I'm going to say is, is this, this filmmaker is pretty disdainful of, of that model of a relationship in a way that I don't know is entirely fair. I think that the filmmaker's own like deeply held biases and prejudices might be, might be taking an active role there. And he um, was very young when he made this. It's very cool. much an angry, angry student film. Yeah, because I guess I, I, I don't, I don't know. I guess my takeaway, I actually had to go back and rewatch it to, to make sure that I agree that that is the point that, that they are trying to make at that point in the film. And I think it's, the. I guess if I could reconcile it to a contemporary view one thing that that I kind of took away from rewatching that part was it's not just that they're quote unquote like setting up house as like a married couple, so to speak. It's that the relationship that they've gone into has to do with these idealistic visions of their partner that have to do with like romantic love and happily ever after instead of actually understanding the person that they're with. And I think that that is something that is still very real and of like a very modern problem for relationships but but that's the other thing i keep on coming back to is like a lot of the things that he's criticizing is not i would argue is not a problem of specifically homosexuals it's a problem of 
human beings, like human beings living in isolated contemporary urban society, um, especially enduring, you know, the depredations of late capitalism, like a lot of the, the things he describes about, you know, loneliness and like this yawning void and emptiness that people feel has a lot to do, in, in my opinion, not with being specifically gay, but with being human in like a materialistic society that that doesn't understand a concept of any human being having an intrinsic worth beyond their youth, beauty, you know, accessories or material wealth. That, that's not a gay thing. That's a people thing. Well, isn't that the point of the title then? He's saying the problem isn't the homosexual, it's society. I, I, I wish, I feel like the title protests a little bit too much, we think. Like, I guess one of my criticisms of this film is, despite the title, a lot of what we're being shown has to do with the criticism of a lot of these ills is specific to homosexuals. And I, I, that's, I guess that's the piece that I could understand, because it was getting up my nose a bit why it would really piss people off in 1971 or whatever. Well, because then he just starts burning more and more villages down. There's because I thought of, I thought of Larry Kramer and the normal heart and Larry Kramer very much preached. I I thought of Larry Kramer, but not just the normal heart. I thought of a novel of his, whose, whose title I cannot repeat. (laughs) Nobody can repeat these days, but that's specifically what I was thinking of when I was watching this is a similarly disdainful book about a certain way of living as a homosexual man. And I think the difference is that Larry Kramer puts himself in the normal heart and shows how off-putting his anger made him and how he kept sabotaging his own attempt at building alliances because of it. Whereas Mm -hmm. Rosa puts himself in the distance as the omnipresent narrator, which means nobody nobody ever challenges him in the film. That's where he gets himself in trouble in this film, is he's checking so many people off the list that there's not really anyone left but him. Right. Well, I'm glad at least he came to a point, though. I was like, please, can we get to somebody you approve of? <laughs> because otherwise, this is just some screed being like, everything about your life sucks, the end. So Daniel runs into a blonde, brawny, bearded man at a club, and the man wants Daniel to stop hustling, because at this point, it's implied Daniel's on the verge of becoming a sex worker. And... Uh, Worse than that, as they say, you're becoming a whore, but you're not even getting paid. There we go. So, he goes to this free love hippie salon with the activists, and suddenly everyone's nude, and what I took from that is that the activists are the only ones who aren't in a costume perhaps what i took from that is we've just watched an entire movie where he's condemned intense like embrace of sexuality and hedonism and yet when we finally get to this final circle of the wise old men telling us how to really be they've clearly just all fucked but setting setting that aside uh i i'm glad that he put forward at least a theory of what he thinks like living as a gay man should look like um, I'm a little bemused that apparently what he has in mind is a really, really politically active polycule, I guess. I, 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 I reject I reject the the thesis among his theses, I guess. I reject the idea that that the correct way of being a gay man is to have relationships, but intentionally make them shorter, you know, two years, three years, like not quite just the constant hedonistic cruising that reduces other men to just bodies that you're consuming and then discarding. 
um, but something more serious than that, but not quite any kind of long-term monogamy because that's aping the straits too much. I I don't know that I agree that like this thing that he puts forward is the one true way, as it were. But then he starts to get into the political manifesto and the film's wrapping up. So he lists off a lot of things and it's hard to sort of cobble it together into an ideology. The one that's part that stood out for me was when he starts talking about intersectionality. He says, we need yeah. to help the Black Panthers. We need to help the feminist movement. We need to help yeah. all the other minorities because that's something that even today, I mean, the members of the LGBTQ plus community don't necessarily like collaborating with each other. So moving beyond that to coordinate with other groups is um ra- rather daring and difficult to, yeah. to coordinate well i mean i'll say like it, it's not I, I my conscience is not entirely clean in this regard uh but i do think that actually some of the cleanest hits the stuff that that i was kind of like oh this is still a really really crispy burn however many decades later uh, among that is just pointing out pointing out the intersexuality and the tendency i think to sort of once you've gotten yours in like your particular category of oppression, like to sort of pull up the ladder behind you so that nobody else can get a leg up. Um, I think that one of the dangers of the increasing acceptance that, that uh, gay people are getting in society, the, heaven knows we have a way to go and, and, and the dangers of the reactionaries pulling us back into the fifties sort of are ever present. But the idea that as we are, have more access to, economic security, have more access to being safe at our jobs, being able to sort of live the quote-unquote bourgeoisie, like American dream, you know, two people, even if it's not a man and a woman, but we still have the house and the white picket fence, you know, maybe a couple of corgis instead of 2.5 kids. But, you know, do we forget about other people who still are getting a raw deal from America? Or even worse, are we somehow like complicit in that or rejoicing in it because of the one of the ones that I thought like, Oh, that's a really sharp dig is the uh, there's one point where the filmmaker says that wealthy gays actually love the oppressive structures in society because it makes it easier for them to sexually prey upon people who are oppressed and broke. Yeah, that was that, that cut deep, that, <laughs> particularly since he was rolling the art world into that (laughs) and i say hey not all artists so who would you show this film to today i i I, so there are times when you you've shown me films where where i've said well everyone actually should see this i don't know that i agree on this one i think that this one has to be kind of kept in the family a little bit i think that it's really valuable for for especially gay men to see now not that they should agree with everything but that i think that like you should see it with all of your gay friends and then go to a bar or coffee place and have a big argument about it afterwards i think that that's the kind of the kind of vibe it is it's really going to engage you intellectually some of it will piss you off and strike you as uh, appallingly regressive and retrograde um, but there might be just these little knives that the filmmaker is sticking in that you find to still be true and worth examining about your own life and relationships as well, um, especially to the extent that uh, that you're considering whether or not these days to be politically engaged. Well said. Well said. I, I will say thank you for thank you for inviting me on. You always find interesting ones for me, and I appreciate that. I I might get 
baffled or pissed off, but I'm never bored when you bring something uh, that you want me to have a look at for one of these. So thanks so much. Oh, you're so welcome. You know, I started you off with a softball. We had a an obnoxious rom com, and mm-hmm. uh, but I've I've been throwing the 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 weird stuff at you ever since, and I appreciate your willingness to just dive in. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks. I mean, this is all, and this is all stuff that I've I've never encountered and might never have encountered if it weren't for for you in this podcast. So thanks again. You're so welcome. This was a lot of fun, Ed. Thank you for listening to Rainbow Colored Glasses. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. The music you're listening to is Squares, licensed under Creative Commons. If you like us, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We'll see you next time.